Good morning, Bethel. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible, um, you can find the text on page 1006. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 25, which is a a good complement to the text we're going to look at for the sermon um, in Jeremiah 31. In fact, it's quoted in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. <clears throat> and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the commandment that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so our memories, depending on maybe where you're at life season-wise, you might have different connotations with with memory. Okay, memory is a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? What what is a memory? I mean, the thing in your head, how does that work? It's, It's a crazy thing. Amazing how we can remember anything at all. How's it stored? How does it recalled? But memory can also be a maddening thing, can it? We can struggle to remember where we put our keys. <laughs> we can forget names. Hey, great to see you, you know. Um, or what we went upstairs to go get, we forget. Well, the Bible says a lot about remembering. And it also says a lot about forgetting. And our lives are filled with remembering and forgetting. There's some remembering that haunts us, plagues us. There's also some remembering that comforts and encourages us, fills us with gratitude. 
So there's some remembering that can help us. There's some remembering that can hurt us. And so God wants, because again, the Bible says a lot about remembrance and forgetting and remembering. God wants to fill our memories and jog our memories and help us to use our memories as a weapon in the good fight of faith. So that's one of the things we're going to consider this morning. So if you could turn um, in your Bible to Jeremiah 31. We are going to look at a few verses back there in Jeremiah, which not the easiest book in the Old Testament to find. So if you're using a pew Bible, you can find our passage on page 660. There is a little outline in the bulletin. Um, also, you'll see the points up on the screen here if you want to follow along that way. Okay, so Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, so first point, God remembers. So the Bible speaks of God remembering sometimes, which might strike us as a little as a little odd, right? I mean, isn't God omniscient? <laughs> Doesn't he know everything? So why would he need to remember? Well, I want you to just consider two examples. You don't even need to turn there if you don't want to. Um, we'll hit these quickly, but one example of the Bible using this language of remembrance and applying it to God is Genesis 8.1. But God remembered Noah... And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God was caught up watching the water rise, you know, on some other part of the planet, and he just forgot about the ark bobbing over there, wherever it was bobbing, near Mount Ararat? No. The point is, he didn't forget about them. He had committed to save them, and he was going to make good on that commitment. God remembered Noah in that sense. Okay, another example in Genesis 9. Same context. This is after the flood waters subside. And in verse 15, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow, rainbow, is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. So, the rainbow. Did God need the rainbow in the sky to kind of jog his memory? You know, he's, this is not the old man in the sky that's senile. And he needs some kind of trigger, some kind of, you know, string tied around his finger. No, this was the sign of the covenant. The bow was the sign of the covenant. 
It's like a bow. If God breaks the covenant, he deserves the arrow. He deserves the punishment. I'm not going to break my covenant. So it's a sign of the covenant between God and Noah and every living thing. I will never go against my promise. I will remember my promise always. I will never act against my word. I will always operate with this promise in mind. Get it? He's going to remember it. So the Bible also says that God remembers things no more. Or you could say he forgets things, at least maybe put it in quotes. So sometimes that concept is stated in an indirect way, Psalm 103. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So that's kind of an indirect way of saying this, this whole point. But sometimes it's stated directly, just like in verse 34 of the text we're looking at. So let's just look at this passage, walk through it here. With I'll make a few comments as we go along. And then we'll, again, talk about memory issues here after we walk through it. So, behold, the days are coming. So, he's prophesying, predicting the new covenant to come. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So, This is the old covenant, quote-unquote, okay? This is the Sinai covenant with Moses and the people that he brought out of Egypt. But they broke that covenant, right? They were unfaithful. The law came to them after they had been delivered, but how did they respond to that law? They're making golden calf. They're grumbling and complaining. They didn't, that whole generation didn't enter the promised land. They broke it. They didn't uphold their end of the covenant. So this covenant that Jeremiah is, or the Lord through Jeremiah is prophesying, predicting, is going to be different. It's going to be better than that old covenant. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So obviously a clear contrast set up between these two covenants. So let's just list out a few more of the differences that we see in the passage here and elsewhere in the Bible. I'll throw a few other thoughts in from other places. So Old Covenant was mediated by who? Come on, you awake? Say it. Okay, priests, initially, before the priesthood was set up. Somebody said it over here. Louder. Moses. Okay, Moses. And then the priesthood was set up, yeah? So new covenant mediated by Jesus, because there's ultimately only one mediator between God and man. Okay? Old Covenant, out of Egypt, listen to this, I think this is hugely significant. They were delivered circumstantially from their slavery, right? But there was no spiritual deliverance from their slavery to sin. 
There wasn't a provision in this covenant for internal change. Which is why even though they were free from Egypt, they were slaves to sin and they had hard hearts and they grumbled and complained in the wilderness and got angry at God and his representative Moses. Okay? New covenant, it's different, isn't it? We're delivered out of the domain of darkness. We're delivered spiritually, but guess what? We're not necessarily delivered circumstantially. We might go through some really hard circumstances in this life, but we're ultimately free, and we will be free eternally. Okay? So because there was no internal provision built into the Old Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, they broke that covenant. The only way that the Mosaic, that Moses' covenant made sense is if you had Abrahamic faith. Then the law makes sense, of course. But if it's just the Mosaic covenant on its own, it's powerless to change you. Abraham's covenant was based on a promise, on grace. So this is not the case with the new covenant. There is this internal provision built in. And we should savor this. Okay? You can't break the new covenant. They broke it. This one has an internal provision built in because he's going to write it on our hearts. And so we can't break it. In fact, just flip over one page to Jeremiah 32. I love these verses here. It's so sweet. If nothing else, I just, I hope that these promises of the new covenant that are ours through Christ just land on your spiritual taste buds like dessert. And you just savor them today. So, Look at verse 37. Behold, this is 32, 37 in Jeremiah. Behold, I will gather them. So he's drawing his people to himself out of exile by an act of deliverance. I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger, my wrath, and great indignation. Make disciples of all the nations. And I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Listen to this language. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. They're not going to break this covenant. For their own good, I'm going to do this, and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice. This is God speaking. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised. Okay, so with Sinai out of Egypt, external deliverance, no matter how miraculous it was, and it was miraculous, good grief. Signs, parting of the Red Sea, manna, quail, It wasn't enough. These external things weren't enough. The problem was deeper than Pharaoh and that slavery. It's internal to us. It's our hard, rebellious hearts. That's the real slavery we need to be freed from. And the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus, has to be a different kind of deliverance and redemption. It has to be internal deliverance. So old covenant 
was written on stone or ink on a scroll, right? The law is good, but it can't, it doesn't have any power to make people good, to change people. But the new covenant is internal, it's written on our hearts by the Spirit. Old covenant was symbolic and temporary, had this repetitive provision for dealing with sin, but really, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. It was God being, he was forbearing until the time when Jesus would come and really pay for our sins. The true once for all provision for forgiveness of sin. And that's what Hebrews 10, our scripture reading, says very clearly. And then, in case you're wondering what this whole thing in verse 34 is, then they shall all know me from the least of them to, to the greatest, and you won't need to say to one another, know the Lord. The old covenant, think about it, was made up of national Israel, which was comprised at times with many who had hard hearts. So, of course, they would need to, inside the covenant community, teach one another, you got to know the Lord. But not in the new covenant community. Everyone in the new covenant community, you're not brought in by biological birth. Hey, my parents are Christians, I'm a Christian. You're brought into the new covenant community by a miracle of grace when God takes out our hard hearts and puts a new soft heart. He writes his law on our hearts, puts his spirit within us. So everyone in the new covenant has been brought in by internal transformation. And so by its very nature, the new covenant is made up of people who know God. They have had their hard heart replaced with a new soft heart that knows and desires to know greater God. Okay? So there's no need for people within the New Covenant community to say, know the Lord. That doesn't mean there's no place for teachers. The point is, there are no ethnic Christians who are part of the Covenant community by physical birth. Everybody who comes in, comes in in relationship with God because God has given them that relationship and changed them from the inside out. Okay? Now, If you're a Christian this morning, if you've seen your sin, I can't keep the law. I I haven't loved God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. Do not covet. Oh, good grief. I'm dead in the water right there. If that's true and you realize it, You know you have no ground of appeal for yourself before the judge of all the earth, no ground of appeal in yourself for mercy from God. You need rescue. You need advocacy before God. You need help from outside. And if you know and believe and have trusted in and embraced Jesus as your rescuer, that he's our advocate before the Father, that he's our help from outside, our Savior, And if you've turned from trusting in your own efforts to be acceptable in God's sight, if you've trusted in Jesus' death in your place for forgiveness and acceptance with God, then all these promises, these unbreakable, sweet, eternal, like ironclad promises are yours. They're ours. I mean, just listen. I I mean, I hope it moves you. I hope that these things are sweet I will make with them an everlasting covenant that that I will not turn away from doing good to them. God has, I mean, can, can you take God's word to the bank? 
He said, I will not turn away from doing good to you. Don't just look at that as history. That's for us. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Man, prone to wander, like I could be just like a a leaf in the wind. I'm so glad for a promise like that, aren't you? And then here's how God talks about his, like how he feels about saving us. Well, I guess I got to do it to be merciful. No, I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and soul. That's ours in Christ. I was listening to Ray Ortland um, a, w- a little while back um, just for the sake of my own heart to get revived and encouraged because he's a great one to listen to. I encourage you to check him out, podcast or whatever. Um, and at one point he was talking about the gospel and how great it was and then he just stopped and I, it, it's been sticking with me ever since. He said, after he'd, he'd recounted these gospel blessings and promises, he said, do you mind being treated really well by God? Do you mind? Man, how quickly we forget. God's abundant, lavish, over-the-top love and mercy, his patience, his kindness, his grace, just totally leaves our mind's eye sometimes, doesn't it? And all of our suffering, our lack, our need, our pain, our mistreatment, our whatever is what fills our view. And we, what do we do? We gripe, we complain, we feel entitled, we get angry at God and everybody else. You know what the problem is? We have gospel amnesia. Point number two. We forget. We forget all the benefits. We forget what he's done. So as a result of the spiritual disciplines series that we did at the beginning of the year, or actually end of last year, beginning of the year, um, I was convicted about how I had neglected Bible memory. Again, not for notches on your belt, but so that I could just have God's word soaking, you know, just in my head. I could recall it and just ponder it, meditate on it. Um, it's been such a fruitful discipline in the past, and so I was thankful for that. And first place I went was Psalm 103. I think I've memorized most of it in the past, but I, I needed to refresh it, and I'm still working on the last few verses uh, to get it down, okay? Because anyway, so Psalm 103, and it's been so helpful to me multiple times. So bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So there's been some days where I'm flat, down, discouraged, frustrated, and so Psalm 103 has been right there preaching to myself. Come on, soul, wake up. It's ridiculous. You've forgotten. And literally, folks, this stuff, God's Word's powerful. I hope I don't have to twist your arm to believe that. I've needed reminders. I've needed to rehearse. And I'm calling myself to bless the Lord. And then the Lord gives me reasons. And I start thinking, he's forgiven all my iniquity. All of it. 
past, present, future. He's the great physician. He can choose to heal now, but he was certainly, like he's the only one that ultimately heals. And one day there's going to be no more mourning or crying or pain or death anymore. Redeems your life from the pit. You remember the pit? Maybe you've forgotten the pit. So if you forget the pit, you forget being redeemed from it. And it's not sweet anymore like it should be. You need to rehearse and remember. Satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles crowns you with love, (laughs) steadfast love and mercy. So we need these reminders. We need this table. This is a communion meditation. This is leading right into the table. We need this regularly. So easy to forget the things we need to remember, the greatness of these new covenant promises and blessings. I've, I've shared this illustration with you before, but let's say you're out in the middle of the ocean. You were on a boat with you know, a few other people and you know, sprung, sprung a leak or whatever, and you are three days you know, holding on to some piece of the boat or, or life raft or something like that. You're in and out of consciousness. You're ready to die of dehydration. And the sun's beating down, and then all of a sudden the life, bar, life, coast guard, life, whatever. The boat comes to, to rescue you. If you were literally on the brink, and that boat came, and you, you were thinking, it might, it, nobody might come. We might be dead. Sit. And you get, a, you get into the boat. Let's say you get in first or second. There's a few people behind you. And somebody steps on your toe because they get in on after you. Are you going to just, like, jump down their throat? No, of course not. You just got rescued for crying out loud. But if you've totally forgotten the rescue and then somebody steps on your toe, (laughs) what happens when we get gospel amnesia? That's why we need to remember. So, we often forget the things we need to remember. We often remember things we need to forget. Some of us need to forget what lies behind. Some of us need to forget what God has already dealt with. Are you beating yourself up over sin you've already confessed and repented of and you have a hard time believing God can forgive you? You're still trying to do penance? Sometimes it's hard to believe, hard to accept the forgiveness of God. Let this text speak to you. Let God speak to you. You know what? Other people will kind of help us. The, our, our sometimes impulse to beat ourselves up, other, other people can help <laughs> with that, can't they? Because they love, certain people love to point out our failures and bring up our, our sins. Maybe it's people in the past that their voices are still echoing in your mind. Maybe it's people in your present. Maybe you're one of the ones pointing out the sin in somebody that is real close to you. You're keeping score. And you like to remind of the score in one way or another. You know who else likes to remind of the score? Satan. In Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of our brothers and sisters. He loves to wag the finger. And oftentimes he's right. Except for the fact that the blood's already covered that. He usually leaves that part out. So we often forget the things we need to remember, we remember the things we need to forget, like maybe the sins of others against you, 
if you've really overlooked, if you've really forgiven, some of you might be nursing grudges, keeping score, holding tightly to your tallies with your spouse or your child or your parent or somebody in this church or somebody at work or an extended family member. Listen, let this text speak to you. How has God dealt with you? And then that will empower you to forget the things you need to forget and remember the things you need to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Spurgeon, I'm sure Chuck, you probably sent this a while ago, but I kept it because it was so good. Um, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. This is the devotional um, that I read a while back. When we, f- we never forget a sin against us. Yeah, we do, but anyway, you know what he means. But we'll forget the one who died for all our sin. Do this in remembrance of me. It appears that Christians may forget Christ. There would be no need for this loving exhortation if there were not a fearful possibility that our memories might prove treacherous. Nor is this an empty notion. It is sadly too well confirmed in our experience, not as a possibility, but as a lamentable fact. It appears almost impossible that those who have been redeemed by the blood of the dying lamb and loved with an everlasting love by the eternal Son of God could forget that gracious Savior. But if startling to the ear, sadly, it is too apparent to the eye to allow us to deny the crime. Forget him who never forgot us? Forget him who poured his blood out for our sins? Forget him who loved us even to death? Can it be possible? Yes, it is not only possible, but conscience confesses that it is too sadly a fault with all of us that we treat him as a stranger, like an overnight guest. Instead of him being a permanent resident in our memories, we treat him as a visitor. The cross where one would expect that memory would linger and disinterest would be an unknown intruder is desecrated by the feet of forgetfulness. Doesn't your conscience say that this is true? Don't you find yourselves forgetful of Jesus? Some other love steals away your heart and you are unmindful of him upon whom your affection ought to be set. Some earthly business engrosses your attention when you ought to be fixed steadily upon the cross. It is the incessant turmoil of the world, the constant attraction of earthly things that takes the soul away from Christ. While memory works to preserve a poisonous weed, it allows Christ to wither. Let us charge ourselves to tie a heavenly forget-me-not around our hearts for our beloved Jesus. And whatever else we let slip, let us hold tight to him. So let's do that this morning by doing this in remembrance of him. So if the men that are going to serve could come forward, um, we're going to participate together in the table. And so as you come to this table... If, you, if you're with us here and you're not a Christian, um, we are so glad that you're here. You can just allow the, the elements to pass and just continue to, to ponder the, the truth about the gospel of Jesus. Um, and we'd encourage you to ask any questions if you're not sure what it means to be a Christian or how to become one. But this is like a family meal for those who have been brought into this new covenant relationship with God through Christ. But for those of us as believers that come to the table, let's do this in remembrance of the 10,000 talent debt that we've been forgiven, like it says in Matthew 18. So don't forget that we deserve eternal debtor's prison. And you've been rescued. (laughs) Totally free. 
because of nothing at all that you did. Do this in remembrance of the once for all, fully sufficient atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for us. There is no need for any other mediator. There is no need for additional sacrifices. The once for all offering has already been offered and God accepted it for you. So do this in remembrance of the full and forever forgiveness of our Lord when he remembers our sins no more. Let's come to this table to remember, to do this in remembrance of Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will distribute both the bread and the cup, and if you can hold those until everyone is served, then we'll participate together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for these sweet, sweet promises of the new covenant, and we thank you that you didn't just say that you would do it, you did it. And the Lord Jesus spilled his blood and died in our place so that you could truly wipe out our sins and remember them no more, never to be brought up again against us, that we are pardoned and justified before you forever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, would you remind us of that? Would you help us to not forget the benefits? Help us to rehearse them even as we ponder right now and prayerfully prepare our hearts to to participate in your table. And Lord, maybe where we have forgotten and it has led us to, to be holding grudges or pointing out the sins of others in judgmental ways or whatever else, just grumbling and complaining, would you expose that and help us to confess it, seek your forgiveness and cleansing. How cool and beautiful and sweet that you even died for our forgetfulness, our gospel amnesia. And you love to give grace to refill our memories so that we are full of gratitude and joy. So Lord, minister to us as we participate in the table here of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.